button. Hi, this is Charlotte Pearson, the producer of uh, Ready Row USA, and you are listening to our 23rd podcast of the year live stream. Uh, we are talking with Laura Vafiadis. Did I say that right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Vafiadis, who rode solo across the Atlantic Ocean, and we're um, I'm I'm uh, going to be going backstage in a second, but we uh, uh, Jason Cunningham is our host. He's the president of Rowing Parts Supply and a rowing coach in Florida. So uh, I guess that's about it. Ready Row USA is our, our website, and you will find the show notes there. Uh, we're going to augment them with some of the photos that we have from Laura uh, and uh, take it away, Jason. Thanks, Charlotte. Laura, thank you for being here. I think this is, um, again, we're doing a little bit of talking before the show and this is a pretty pretty cool event and a pretty special thing, I think in the world of rowing as a whole, it, in, in and of itself, but across the world as a whole. Um, so, you know, we're just gonna dive in just a little bit and just talk about your journey. Um, as, so last year I coached the the four from home, a team that, that rode across the Atlantic in the Talisker challenge. And one thing that I took from them was it, it takes, it's way more than just the rower or the rowers, right? There's, you have this army behind you um, that is, is helping you get there. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work up to the race and what it all involved and about your team and how many people were there helping you. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So then, Thank you very much for having me on. Um, it's it's wonderful, and I I I know about you, and I think I've I watched. Like I say, I, I've um, I've I've been aware of the Talisker for so many years, and you're absolutely right. I think yes, I am a solo rower, so specifically, I I was alone on the boat, but oh my god, I wasn't I wasn't alone actually coming up to the um to to the race. It's it is it's it's an all consuming um event. It really is. It's one of those ones that it takes an army it really does to get everyone to this to the start start line specifically for a solo because um we are completely alone on the boat it's it's one of those things that it's it's a three-year build-up to get to this get to this race and I had all of my family were involved and my brother bless him he actually so my um father initially was going to do all of the weather racing for me um we will speak about about him later but my my, my brother basically became my weather router um my my mum was involved my boyfriend er, er, literally everyone every company I worked for I got everyone else in, involved it's it's one of those things that it's I found it so heartwarming I think that just going around my little town I'm currently in Malvern in Worcestershire um, and just speaking to all the people in 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 town, I love now that more than in Worcestershire, tiny little town, everyone knows about ocean rowing, and everyone like they'd see me in the supermarket and they're like, "Oh, you 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 did that thing," and I was like, "Yeah, I did, I did that, I did that thing." <laughs> so it's um, that build up, and it's it's like a full time job getting to that start line, and it's not just the the actual funding of the boat, it's it's all of the training and to be fair the the, the physical training is the easy bit because invariably we're probably all doing it anyway we're all go, we're all hitting the gym and we're all kind of getting our fitness level up but it's there's so many boxes you have to tick to ensure that you're absolutely ready to get all of your training hours to make sure that when you 
leave on that day, on the 12th of December last year, I felt 100% prepared for what I was about to do. In fairness, when you do leave, the 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 kind of the the I think it was the rate my heart was going when I was rowing over that line. I can't. I should have had my heart rate monitor on because it would have just been pounding. I think it really was. So I have to. I I absolutely have the full commendation for all of my um, helpers and family and friends and old work colleagues. LinkedIn, like the amount of people I had on LinkedIn sending me yeah. messages and everything. Um, it's it is an it's an all-consuming thing ocean rowing it's not easy to get to that start start line at all yeah it sounds like you know even just the word rowing it's all it's always all-consuming um so mm. i know i know a lot of us can can you know feel that for sure so mm. with all of the lead up mm. talisker also had a ton of, of checkpoints and training very specific training you had to do along the way right Yes. Yeah. So for um, we have to make sure we, we clock in enough hours on the boat. So it's a minimum of 120 hours on the boat. It's also making sure that we're up, we're up to date with all of our um, various qualifications. So there's the kind of first aid qualification, VHF. I am. So I trained as a yacht skipper for many years. So I was I already had quite a, quite a lot of it, which was fa- fairly useful. Um, so all of the, na- the navigation and everything, I was really, really happy with. But we do a very specific ocean rowing course. In fact, the the training on on the boat I did along the south coast of, of the U- of the UK. And it was it was one of those things that I think when see, people see an ocean rowing boat, it, it, it's great because they they, they want to come up and see you and see, and see what you're doing. I also don't want them to come up and see me because I'm <laughs> so hard on tides in the UK, making sure I'm not kind of running into lob, lobster pots when there's, you yeah. know, I, I've got cliffs that I'm trying not to run into. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. And I loved the kind of boating community in, in the UK because they they obviously see this completely different boat and they want to come and say hi. Um, and that was brilliant. And actually just coming into the um, in and out of the marina when I was training and getting those kind of minimum of 120 hours, which is kind of five days on the water. We have to do a 36 hour row all in one all in one go as well, um, which, again, around the, the UK, you've got to take into account tights because when, when you've got kind of two and a half knots against you and you're only rowing at two and a half knots, yeah. you the, you can do the maths that you're not really going going very far so it's um there's a lot of there's a lot of boxes to tick to get and, it, and it's the reason being it is because obviously we completely understand that Atlantic campaigns have to ensure that when you're on that start start line you are a hundred percent prepared and you know everything about your boat and you're completely read, ready for it so yes there are a lot of boxes to, to tick but completely understandable why yeah oh that I mean that, that makes total sense like mm. Because Talisker has taken not a, not a huge risk, but they're putting on this thing and they want it to be as safe as possible, right? It's, at some point, you accept risk. And I'm sure there are a ton of papers that you have to sign when you get ready for this, right? There are always yeah. attorneys involved. But, um, you know, they, they don't want anything bad to happen either, right? So they're doing everything mm-hmm. they can to prepare you as best as possible, as is, is what I've, I've seen from hearing you talk and hearing the guys talk last year that... Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it comes across as a very top-notch organization as well. And I think it's pretty fitting that today's Earth Day as well, because they, they have um, a lot of uh, sus- sustainability efforts and everything else going into the race. So I think that's cool coincidence at this point. So, <laughs> so there's all this training. Mm. And you talked about your heart rate being really high when you cross the line on December 12th. 
was there ever a thought of, I have done a crap ton of training. Mm. I've crossed the line. Am I ready for this? Or, or, you know, did I forget something or was there ever that thought or the training was so well planned that when you cross the line, it's just like, here we go. What was that? I think it's probably a mixture of the two. I think because obviously when we're doing our training and specifically me, I obviously, I'm not going out in bad, bad weather because you just, you just don't, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't train in storm, stormy weather. You wouldn't train in like a force eight or a force or a force nine, 10. So it's, it is one of those things that we, we do train and I was happy with, with, with my training, but also I hadn't been on my boat in incredibly stormy weather. I didn't know how she handled in when I've got, you know, a, a really strong cro- crosswind when I've got massive beam on waves. So it's, it's one of those things that yes, we, I, I felt prepared, but also I, I knew there's only so much I could physically do to prepare myself because some things were going to happen and oh my God, they did that I would never have known that were going to happen or I wouldn't have known how the boat was going to react. I didn't know, obviously the weather's completely un- uncontrollable and genuinely I I wanted to, to control the weather. Turns out I can't. Um, I really tried. So it's... Well, it, don't it's, we all, so. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a lot of different factors leading up that we can only do so much and then when you do cross that start line and it is one of those really the moments I will remember forever it's you just you just have to trust in yourself that you've done the absolute enough for you and then you just have to just take whatever comes and all of the learning and and the prep will help you fix any issue fix any problem on the boat um and it did it just there was more issues than I was gonna (laughs) first thought but I think that's a cool lesson to to also learn and you know, for anybody that's younger that watches this, right? You prepare, you prepare, you prepare, right? Mm-hmm. Preparation is is as best as you can possibly do, but you can never foresee every bad event that's going to come your way. And so you've got to trust that if something bad happens, your training is going to be able to get you through that unforeseen circumstance. Seems like that probably happened a lot while you were out there. Is that a yeah. fair statement? I think that's a very fair statement. Yeah, I'm gonna say <laughs> it's um yeah. I, well, I think because I so I was the way I was brought up, and I will um obviously my dad ha- features so heavily in, in in what I do was that he brought brought me up in a sense of he made me believe that I was a, a capable of achieving any, anything, which is a wonderful thing to instill in a child. Um, but it also makes me probably quite foolhardy and incredibly stubborn. So it's, there's a mixture of the two. So I think being able to, because all, all you can do is prepare for what you think is going to happen. And like I said, yeah, I, I had some of the things that went wrong on with, with my row and, and, and that I had to fix on the boat. I, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't expecting to happen. Like I, so I've sailed and I've been on a boat since I was two years old. Within four hours of starting the row, I got seasick. I have never been seasick in my entire life. And I've been through huge storms. And I mean, I was, um, I've been caught in Force 10s, Force 11s. I've sailed. I was always the one on a sailing boat that would get sent down in the galley to make the tea, to look at the nav, you know, to get all the charts out, look at, look at the nav, because I was the only one who could be down below and not be seasick. 
So my first thing within four hours of starting and I was I was gunning out of there and I was really happy. I think I was doing about three and a half knots. I think this the safety. <laughs> and I was like, this is great. I'm feeling really, really good. And then it was like a weird moment and I went, oh, oh no, oh no. <laughs> like there was just there's there's something wrong here. And yeah, I I could not have foreseen that. And I'm gutted yeah. beyond belief that I didn't think there was a slight possibility that I would get seasick. And for five days, and my I think my my brother found it horrendous to talk to me. I was rowing, and sorry for anyone who's screamish, I would row, I'd throw up over the side, I'd be rowing, and I this carried on for five days. And um, there is zero glamour in ocean rowing, obviously, we already know that. But it was it, it was just one of those things where I just thought, okay, this isn't this isn't gonna go how I thought it was gonna go because within four hours I've already had something that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Wow. What um so you're you're into the row and you've got a plan, like there's twenty four hours in a day. You can't mm. row twenty four hours straight. What I try but no, you can't. Try that once. <laughs> What was, what was the schedule like? Was it row, eat, sleep, row, eat, sleep? Like where two hours it's, off? It was a funny one. So I think because of everyone who talks about, about the row and a lot of the facts that they put out are based on teams. So a normal team would be two hours on, two hours off or three hours on, three hours off and they might change it throughout the night kind of thing. Um, for a solo, it's one of those things that I realised that I could just, I would just, I just wanted to row for as long and as hard as I could, and then I would stop. So for a lot of the, I'm going to say 75% of, of the row, I would do a stint of about 12 hours, have a small break, and then do another four hours. So I'm rowing between 16 and 17 hours a day. I had days when I rowed 21 hours and 22 hours, and it's it, wow. it was beyond exhausting but we will come to the reason the reason why later but it was funny I think it's because when I I found when I broke it up I didn't feel like I was I didn't I couldn't get into the groove and I realized if I just stuck on my seat and just consistently rode I had my water bottle with me I drink as much water as possible I had nuts I basically lived off nuts for, for, for 98 days and that's the schedule. I think I I I tried to change to change it up. I can't quite. I went. Mm, can I do four hours on? Let's do half an hour off. Let's let's eat. It got to uh, over halfway in my row, and I had a pretty consistent. I would row from about eight a.m. to one o'clock. I'd have a really short break, maybe half an hour, and then one thirty-two. I'd then row to seven. I'd again have a really short break, maybe half an hour, just to try and get some food in. And then from that point, I'd row around until 4 a.m. So I'm only sleeping for max three or four hours a, a day. Um, and a four-hour sleep for me was a really good day. Um, but because there's obviously when you're solo and there's the boat isn't moving forward when you're not rowing, really, unless you're incredibly lucky, um, I did realize, and I was like, if I don't row, this boat's not going to go, I'm not going to get there any, any quicker. So I did have to, I had to stop myself rowing many, many times because I was like, I need to sleep. When I started hallucinating, the, like I was um, 
hallucinating like um audible things so it was like i i honestly it's gonna sound really odd i could hear children children crying and screaming on the waves and then for me i'm i love dogs i heard a dog crying and then i panicked and went oh my god there's a dog fallen off a yacht i genuinely had this entire like story in my head that a dog had fallen off a yacht and I desperately needed to go and find him and I was going insane because I'm I just I hadn't had had enough sleep so it was um it was a it was a weird one I just had to do a really long stint and that was the way of doing it and however it works out and I'm just it's going to be different for every solo I'm sure we don't all do the same the same the same thing but I just wanted to stay on that seat for as long as possible and I had to force myself to get off it to yeah. sleep did you ever come up? Did you ever have any equipment issues that you? I, I know there's videos you were seem terrified of jumping in the water to to clean to clean the boat. Yeah. Right? In, in order yeah. to keep moving, you got to get all the, the crud off the bottom. Um, but yeah. did you did you ever have any uh, just issues like whatever your tiller or or because you had an automatic tiller or whatnot, anything break or anything like that? Equipment issues. Yeah. Um, so. How do I start with the very, very beginning? I had a uh, rope around my rudder um, within, I think that was within three weeks. That was quite interesting to try and get that out because it was so rough. I couldn't, I, I didn't feel safe getting into into to the mm. water and then managing to kind of take it out. So I came up with this weird thing of kind of wrapping the rope rope around the other side and kind of like trying to jimmy it out. I managed to get it out and it was fine. Um, also Tiller, yeah, I managed to um, break one, but then I managed to fix one. So I was back up to two, which was really good. Um, I had in my boat a very specific um, bilge, bilge pump. So because the uh, the boat I was in is a new design, um, it meant that the um, in a standard ocean rowing boat, there are scuppers. So when there's waves that, that come over, the water runs away. Um, in this boat, there aren't. So there is a um, automatic bilge pump that basically pumps out all, all of the water. Um, that broke after three and a half weeks. So for the next however many weeks that is, so over 60 days I was manually pumping out and then also just bailing out with half a water bottle um water for genuinely 65 days I think it was so that became part of my routine so I was doing I was doing all the normal things but then also if there was a wave that came over and kind of filled up that area it would take me quite a long time I'd obviously have to put the oars down and just start bailing out water um it was just it just became part of my routine which is really tough um I had lots of things like I just because of the um I had some really cloudy days I had really bad power issues because the boat the way the boat handles it's really important to have um an auto helm but without power I couldn't have an auto helm I didn't have anything so for quite a few days I was trying to hand steer um or steer with the oars I didn't have there's no foot foot steering currently yeah um, that type of boat so it's just me trying to steer with the oars um i'm sure there are other things but those are the things that come that come to mind so yes to answer your, your question yeah. yes there was plenty that went wrong um, <laughs> was there ever a point that and we can use this to try to start to transition as well is was there ever a point that you thought i can't i can't i can't do this so i'm going to be really honest with you no um, and I think there's there's one reason. And if anyone's uh, listening who knows me, I'm I basically had a, a really simple way of looking at this row, and I was either going to finish it 
or die doing it. Um, there was no in between because I had such a, f um, again, incredibly stubborn and determined and there was no way it was going to st stop me. I think I had very low moments and I, um, I've, I've mentioned it in some of my social media. It was my, um, anyone who's watching, my father passed away very, very, very soon, well, soon before I left. And he was the kind of ultimate hero in my life. Um, so to not have him at the end of the phone within five hours of starting, I was, other than seasick, also just incredibly upset. And I just started crying, I think, for many, many days because I realised that I, it was the first time I realised I couldn't pick up a phone and actually talk talk to him. So I felt like, and I'm I'm not a religious person, but I think I've now realised I'm probably quite a spiritual person, that he was on the boat with me for 98 days and I could hear him talking to me and I could feel him kind of in on the boat and his presence and it's going to sound really strange but there was no way he wasn't going to wasn't going to get me to that finish um whatever happened and however low I felt I was always aware that he was he was there so there was never a doubt in my mind whatever happened and I did have some very very low very low low points and lots of emotions and I cried 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 a lot probably cried more than I thought I would um but he was yeah he was there with me the whole way across yeah your your team behind you running the Instagram and your social media did a fantastic job um and I think one of what struck me of, of, of following your feeds relative to, to others um, were those 60 second, 90 second, you know, two minute length videos of you just, and, and all of your emotion there on camera. I thought that was a very humanizing moment for everybody um, and everybody watching it as well. Like, yes, they're, they're doing this really amazing thing, right? Mm -hmm. But they're also struggling too. And like, let's watch them and learn from them as to how they get through their struggles. Because there's so much that we as a people that um, that haven't done something that amazing can can learn and apply into every into your everyday life. Like, you don't you know, we can take your lessons and apply them into our everyday walking around into our families and our homes. Even if you never you never leave your town for your entire life, there's there are things and struggles that we all go through. Um mm -hmm. So I, I really appreciated that coming across. I thought that was that was very special. Um, tell us a little bit. Tell us about your dad. What was it like growing up with your dad? He, he obviously sounds like he was, you know, the the father that a lot of us are going to strive to be in in terms of empowering you as a child, but also as as a as a young woman. You mm -hmm. know, as part of one of your charities, Plan UK, right? Like. In, you know, helping out when, and helping women, pushing women forward, empowering women. But mm. what was he like um, just on a day-to-day -day kind of basis of like how he talked to you? So, and I will try and hold it together. I still get very emotional. I'm always going to get better. I think it's never going to, never going to change. Um, <laughs> he was, it's one of those things. He was the kind of man that I think, would do absolutely anything for his for his family and I, I'm sure that's every man and every every father who wants to do the best he he grew up in a sense of he he struggled at school and then he was really dyslexic so in the 1950s in in the UK 
um, it was dyslexia or kind of being a little bit different wasn't really understood. Mm. And all through his um, school, it was always kind of like, oh, he's just, he's just really stupid. Like he's not, you know, it's kind of, he doesn't, people didn't really un, uh, un understand that he was actually just different. Um, and I think this, this made him at a really young age, basically strive to prove people wrong. And he went through his, his career and actually started up an incredibly successful, successful business that um, has been family run and will continue to be family run. Um, my, my brother now runs that, but he went through his life always wanting to do the best for him. And then when he had children, we became his, his number one. He wanted to make sure that we were, um, we went to the, the best schools that he, he could possibly manage. And I know he tried and he had to work so incredibly hard to make sure that we were going to these wonderful schools and had every kind of opportunity. There was never, there was never a, a chance with or choice with him that he wasn't going to try and do the best for us. He did some incredible things to do with, I'm sure I can say this because it is out there. Um, I'm sure I can. So he was uh, ex special forces, um, 1970s. And it was a long, a long time ago, but he's, he's never really spoken about it because it's for him. He just did that and he served his country and he's done some amazing things. Mm. Some of them never, ever going to know what he, he actually did at all. But it's, he, when, to be fair, when I said I wanted to do this, there was, there was never a doubt. And I remember my mum said recently, she was, she doubted because it's a, it's a, it's a, a very unusual thing. And my dad went, absolutely fine she'll literally be absolutely fine and I'm have absolute trust and belief that, that she can that she can do this so growing up with him like like I say there was never something we couldn't we couldn't do and what I found most amazing was he was diagnosed with prostate cancer gosh 26 26 16 so six or seven seven years ago and he went through rounds of chemotherapy radiotherapy and all of the horrible things that you have to do when you're going through through cancer treat, treatments and what I used to find amazing is where we live, we have some really lovely hills. And he used to, after a week or so after his chemotherapy, walk at a fair pace up these hills, walk past people that were struggling to get up the hill. And it was like, if people knew he'd literally just gone through chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and was still every day wanting to get to the top of that hill because that's what he did. And he, that's what he always wanted to do. He, he needed, he, he needed to get to the top of the hill and it just showed his, like his determination through, through all of it. And through all of those, you know, feeling horrible and he, he never, <laughs> he, he never lost him. And I think kind of seeing what he went through, I, I knew like when I wanted to do this row and then knowing his, his illness was, wasn't getting, wasn't getting, wasn't getting better. Um, there was, I, I had to do it for him. Like if he could, he, he can go through all of this horrible, horrible treatment. And I'm, it's the kind of treatment that I'm amazed we still have to put pe people through because it's basically just poisoning them to try and get rid of some, something else. I thought I can row an ocean. That's really simple. That's all I need, needs to do was show him that I could do that. And I think when, when he passed away and I knew he wouldn't physically see me do it. Oh, that was <laughs> it was the most heartbreaking thing in the world but and then when I realized that actually he is seeing me he's just seeing me in a different in a different way and 
like I say, he was he was with me on the boat, so he wasn't physically with me, but he I knew he was he was watching. And like I say, I when I had to jump in the water and genuinely had to ask for his for his for his help, he 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 helped me, and yeah. I will forever be grateful for him. It sounds like a man coming from a man that we should all try to be like and He's, empowering those around us to be able to do things that it, actually to never give you the opportunity to think you can't do something, but empower you in a way that you think you can do everything. Mm-hmm. Like that's even more powerful than saying, you know, getting you past the point of I can't do it. Well, yes, you can blah, blah, blah. Like just, because if there's ends up being that there's never, I can't like, how powerful is that? That you've empowered somebody to do that. So, um, so your, your role was, was about that and about him. And, uh, you know, one of your main charities was, uh, prostate cancer UK. Yes. So tell us a little bit about what they're doing in, in terms of helping solve this problem. The cancer is a, is a, is an issue, right? And how, what are they doing to help solve that? So Prostate Cancer UK, they have a a goal that, so last year there was 12,000 men that were um, diagnosed with with, um, prostate, well, died from from prostate cancer. And those 12,000 men, there is a huge percentage percentage of them that if it was detected early enough and people had more understanding about it, they would still be here today. So this is brothers, fathers, um, dads, uncles. It, It affects all of us. And they are obviously kind of supporting those men and supporting families and in, in, in ensuring that it, it doesn't, it just, because it's, it's one of those ones that if it's caught early enough and this isn't just blanket, but it's, it's mostly kind of um, valid. It's one of the easiest ones to actually contain and deal with. Um, if not, it's also one of the ones that when it escapes from the prostate, it will just go everywhere. Mm. And I think there is still a fair amount of stigma because obviously as women, we have we have checks for breast cancer. We have checks for ovarian cancer. It's a very normal thing. We get letters in the post saying you will come and do this because this is what this is what what we have to do. Yeah. For men still, there is still so much not stigma, but I think people, men just don't want to discuss things that are maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And I found it really interesting. So when I've gone around, um, I've done lots of shows over the past three three years, and I've done lots of talks at lots of different companies. And I had a room, it was about 250 people at a talk I did la- last year. I'm going to say 90% of them were men, and probably at least 70% of those were over the age of 45. Yeah. And I asked, I was like, "What? Well, put, put your hand up if you've ever actually had and gone and get your, like got yourself checked for prostate cancer." It was about ten hands, mm. and I was like, "If you're over the age of forty-five, it's it's a very very simple thing, and it might be uncomfortable for ten seconds, or it might be a, it might be a slightly difficult com- conversation with, with your doctor, but it's really not because it means that one simple thing means that you can then." you know, you're still there for your family and you and you still get to enjoy all of those things. Because I think for me, like if if all the money I've managed to raise for prostate cancer so so far, if it gets like one family to not go through seeing what I went saw my dad go through and he he went from the rock and the hero to being just taken apart by can by cancer treat treatment. That is that in my mind is I've succeeded just by helping one family. But 
I just hope that the more I talk about it and I am a woman talking about prostate cancer and people find it awkward, but I really don't care. I just need more people and more men to understand that it's, it's one of those things that you can, you can find it and you can get it checked and you can find it early. Then you can say, you know, you can, we can save thousands and thousands of lives. And that's, yeah, I, I will preach about that <laughs> until someone will tell I, me to stop it. Well, I'm being a, a, a man, I, <laughs> it needs to be preached and we can be as stubborn and as, uh, I don't even know the word, like just closing our ears to when people tell us you need to do, you need to do, you need to do. Mm. We know we do Mm. down, but there's this stigma of asking for help, right? It's kind of like the the bare bones of it, right? There's a lot more to it than that, but that we're just terrible at. And this message, if there's anything, right, to for strictly for just a man listening, it's just like, get over it because your family is more important than your ego in that moment. Like, exactly. It, it just is. And you need to figure out how to, how to get past that. I mean, listen to the people around you that want you to be around for as long as possible. Mm. So that's pretty powerful. Um, and I, I would obviously encourage you to keep preaching the prostate <laughs> cancer and getting checked and all that to as many men as you possibly can, because mm. there, there are a lot of people and a lot of families that, have struggled with it and I will continue to make men feel awkward with with me when I talk about this and that's absolutely fine I do perfect. not care <laughs> <laughs> perfect well you, you have a couple of other main charities and a, another that um plan UK plan, yeah plan UK which is uh empowering women through education and whatnot which I think is really important too and um sorry uh, our only world tell us just a little bit about those I I I have looked a little bit more into Plan UK as well. I think that's I think that's amazing and, and really cool thing. So yeah, so plan, plan is one of those ones that I've I've um done kind of fundraising for b- before. And it's again, I'll talk about it and I get really emotional. I I think that there is what they do. So they they are literally they are in about 45 different countries globally um and they are just continually and will always be there for women and children that need that need help specifically the one that comes to mind is they've done loads of work in the ukraine over the last two two years making sure that obviously women and um ukrainian women and children have a safe place to go and they are looking after honestly thousands of women that come across come across the border i went and spoke um at plan uk last year and for me, obviously being being a woman, it's there is still, and even in the UK, there's we still have to deal with really uncomfortable things. And there's a really great um, campaign that Plan had, and it's it's called Because I Am a Girl. And in the UK, like you've, um, I would talk about regularly that I used to go for runs around where I used to live. Uh, there was a time actually when I was really happy going for a run where I used to live and where it fairly got when it got dark I was I was still I felt really really comfortable in the past few years there's been instances where obviously women that have been for runs have been attacked women have been to runs have actually there's there's been um three or four that have actually lost their lives and it's actually made it a really uncomfortable thing and I now I don't actually go out at night if I'm in a certain certain area of, of a town and it's Plan UK has got so many different campaigns that are just ensuring that, that women feel safe 
and women are um just have a, a kind of an an area that they are kind of know that they can go and um talk talk to and it's they are they're an amazing charity um and like i say they are global and the one that i was obviously before was yeah. um the, the uk one but um they are incredible and it's it's one of those things that women and children we have there are so many around obviously kind of from an education stand, standpoint we need to, we need to ensure that you know everyone has a clear education and we can get all, all these different around around the world that women and children are going to be able to get all, all the education that they actually need and it's yeah it's an amazing amazing charity um the other one which is um our only world uh, so our only world is a really tiny charity based in cornwall but they have i say tiny charity they have a massive goal um and that's mostly focused on the obviously uh, kind of the pollution in the atlantic ocean or all of, all of the oceans um and i found it really interesting crossing i say interesting i find it quite appalling actually the amount of um plastic that i used to see when i was when i was rowing um if if i was able to turn around in a really nice way and go and pick pick it up i would have um i would have done but they have yeah that they have a clear goal that just basically just kind of to get rid of the, well, the marine plastic pollution because seeing the amount and obviously the, the the pacific garbage patch is a really really good one um to actually talk, talk about but it's so shocking how much that I was seeing, but then also just how much you see on the beaches, how much is just, there's there's such a lack of understanding that if we don't sort this out, our amazing ecosystem and our amazing environment, specifically in the oceans, is just going to disappear. So for, for generations to come, we are not going to have these incredible animals and all, all this amazing wildlife that it's just, we, we are just going to lose. So it's, yeah, it's an incredible charity and they're based in Cornwall. Um, and yeah, she's, it's, it's a one woman band basically. And she's doing amazing, amazing things. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah. The plastic issue. Yeah. And the Pacific garbage patch is the biggest Since one that we all hear about. Right. But like mm. it's everywhere. It's not just there. It's everywhere. So, mm. so anybody listening, uh, you go to uh, Laura's, website thisgirlrose.com you can see all about her and her charities uh is that the easiest way to go and learn more about the charities yeah probably they've all got links to from my uh website that you can then go into the actual charities websites as well wonderful uh, so, so head over to the website check out all that um that, that she's doing and helping promote so we've got uh at least one one question that came in from alistair richardson what do you wish you had on the boat but didn't and what did you have on the boat you could have done without? Oh, okay. What you wish you had on the boat but didn't? Um, I think I said this when I um, finished. I specifically ran out of salt and vinegar crisps. And um, <laughs> I will forever be eating salt and vinegar crisps because I don't, I don't know what it was. It was like the vinegar. And it's such a silly thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even though I'm surrounded by salt, I just wanted to eat salt and vinegar crisps and I massively ran out of them. Um, and it was just a bit of a shame. I just really, really yeah. wanted them. Um, I took, oh, what did I eat on the boat that I could have done without? To be fair, there was also another thing that was a um, a pillow that I had that I, I couldn't have lived live without. Yeah. It was a pregnancy pillow. Um, yeah. when, when I ordered it, I think my partner was slightly concerned. Um, <laughs> 
it was um it was really lovely it was like kind of a, like a u-shaped one and for me it meant that I could just shove it in the corner and gotcha. I could cut it around and it was the best thing because it was like that kind of beanbag type thing um yeah. just worked really really well um and what did I have on the boat you could have done without oh I mean what did I take that was just too much I think my boat was so tiny that the space mm. for all I think everything was on that boat for, that had that had a reason, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, I took a lot of peanut butter. Um, <laughs> I mean, a lot of peanut butter, and I didn't. I didn't eat it all. I ate quite a lot of it, um, but I probably could have done with maybe taking one less pot of peanut butter. Yeah. I was concerned that I was going to run out, so I think that was my main issue. Um, but yeah, I probably took a little bit too much peanut peanut butter. All food food related. There we go. Food related. Yeah, food related. Mm. All right. Uh, next. Uh, on foot, off grid. What an amazing feat you've accomplished. Do you have any other big adventures planned for the future? This is the question that I keep, that I keep, that, you yeah. keep getting asked. What are you doing? I next? keep getting asked. Yeah, it's one of those things that before you do the like the row, where obviously I'm like I'm I'm doing an amazing. I'm really happy with it. It's an incredible thing. When you've done the row, everyone goes, "Go on then. What's next?" What's next? Um, which is a fair. Um, I do have some plans. I think I'm planning on doing a fairly big uh, land-based adventure. So it will be um, cycling from a town in the UK to Athens in Greece. Um, that's about two and a half thousand miles. Um, it's to emulate a, um, a journey that my, my father did in 1958. Um, the roads are very different now. Um, mm. but we're going to do a very, very similar route. And then... Um, there is a potentially another ocean um, on the horizon. On the horizon? That's, yeah, that's, that's, it, it's that. I'm just going to leave that because it's, um, we shall see. But it's a, yeah, I think once you do one, you, you, can't just, you can't just stop at one, can you? This is the... This is the... <laughs> there are others out there. Yeah. And I no. think if I do the next one, I'm going to do want to do the next one. It's just when does, I think, I think it's only going to stop when I've done all of them. I think that's... It's the, like um, one of these addictive things like once you do one and it's like a very type two fun as well it's just like it's very difficult in the moment when you get done you're kind of like maybe i could do something else like that yeah it's so. and it's and i don't think i would have said that um <laughs> day 67 or something i think i would have right been in the middle of it you're just yeah very happy to just say no but yeah. um now i'm um yeah now i have maybe other plans that we shall you can stay tuned for that one because i think okay. it will be announced soon i would say wonderful well mm. we'll, be, we'll be anxiously waiting for that then <laughs> great well alistair we just got that what's next he's he's already <laughs> guessing pacific 2024 you don't don't spoil that i mean no, he might be right, but let's see who knows <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura, thank you very much for sharing your story and at a different level for sharing you and your father, right? And your relationship and and how that got you through your journey. So thank thank you very much for that. I, I really, really appreciate it. I know everybody that's listening to this now and will listen to it in the future is going to get a lot out of it. So thank you very, very much. Very thank much. you all. Yeah. My, um this grabbed me because my brother had, he got the early detection for, uh, you know, because a friend of his had died. And as he was passing away, he, he said, Henry, you gotta, you've got to get this done. It's very simple and you can save your life. So it's thank you very much. 
Um, some powerful stuff. The whole thing you did is just amazing. And we had more live viewers than we usually do. So I really appreciate the people tuning in. You're going to be able to catch the audio on your podcast apps. And uh, as soon as I get, get it organized, probably later today. But we do have some sponsors that I'd like to, to uh, mention as well. Um, Arlington Community Media is uh, helps us with equipment and advice, and they're just fabulous people. Um, most people have a community media station that they're not aware of, but uh, ours is, is pretty much a state-of-the-art. You know, they have teleprompters and $50,000 cameras that you can just borrow. <laughs> I love them so much. Um, my company is Pierce Press. I publish books. I've got a couple of children's books, including one about the ocean, uh, saving the ocean. Yeah, and uh, and my uh, website uh, designer, Laura Williams Pages. She will do a website audit for your website if you for free if you uh, mention the podcast and the live stream. Um, Burnham Boat Slings, the best boat cover and accessories company ever. If you go up to them at a regatta, they'll give you a little piece of swag if you mention the podcast. Jason's company, Rowing Parts Supply. Very uh, enterprising and uh, successful company. They got everything from those little, wonderful little spacers with flanges to, uh, I don't know, what, what's your biggest thing, Jason? Everything, all the small parts. <laughs> All Nuts, small parts, yeah. Places, wheels, it, wheels are a big deal. I'm sure Laura probably yeah. had wheel issues at some point on her boat too. So I changed those wheels. Yeah. I don't. I don't even want to know how. Yeah. Yeah, I realized that I needed to replace mine at one point. I didn't know what was wrong. You know, it was like they were just. It wasn't sliding well. So, um, thank you very much for uh, stepping in, Jason, and your expertise. Um, you can win uh, gadgets and gear and services, maybe something from Jason. Um, if you use a hashtag ReadyRowUSA on social media, we will stalk you and find you and give you stuff. Um, anyway, th th this has been really fantastic. And um, man, let's do it again. Let's, I, I was going to say, I, I, I interviewed the Antigua Island girls mm. last year. And their preparation for their, their Pacific row. So, yeah, I'm going to have them back on before they get started this year. So. I love them. Yeah, they're, they're so joyful. They're it's just the most yeah. amazing things. Yeah. So thank you again. And uh, we'll wrap it up here. We're, we've got uh, many more episodes planned, including uh, more in our ocean rowing series. And you've inspired us tremendously, Lara. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wonderful to be okay. here. All right. We will wrap it up. <laughs>